something about my case and then I had a book come out about it, um, galvanized action and attention around the world and help people rethink the way the workplace treats fathers. This episode is sponsored by Etched Communication, a full-service public relations and crisis management firm. Connect with Etched via their website at etchedcom.com. That's E-T-C-H-E-D-C-O-M-M dot com. Welcome to this episode of Our Voices Matter, and we have got a big treat for you today. My friend Josh Lenz, all the way from Atlanta, from the ATL, right? the ATL. Yes, I'm here, and I'm so glad that you're bringing back civil discourse all over the country. And, I'm, I'm uh, trying. I couldn't come to Houston without talking to you. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for taking the time to, to chat with us. So for those of you, let me give you a little quick rundown of Josh's background. So probably most well-known for his stint on CNN and NPR for over 20 years, um, many Peabody Awards, which is a very big deal, and a couple of Edward R. Murrow Awards, also a very big deal. Um, and now Josh is an author, a consultant, a keynote speaker, and he is all about equality for dads and working dads getting them into the conversation as it relates to gender parity. Mm-hmm. So I'll let yes. you take it from there and it's, go where you want yeah. to. I mean, it's the big missing half of the battle for gender equality in America that has gotten incredibly little attention. But the short version is that we will never have equal opportunity for women in the workplace unless we make sure that men have equal opportunity to be caregivers. And what we keep running into is we have this madman structures in the way that American businesses were designed based on the assumption that anytime there's a kid or any caregiving, it's all going to be done by the woman. So even places that are well-intentioned are often designed so that if there's a baby, the mom gets all this maternity leave, but the dad does not get anything. And it's based on this old idea that men don't have a role at home. But the effect is that women have to stay, have to go home. Men have to stay at work. Families don't have choices. Families can't make those choices for themselves. Businesses lose great women, and men often don't get the time that they want with their families. So we need to fix all this together. So what brought you to this subject matter? It's interesting because, you know, I was a fact checker on CNN. Yes. Was, uh, yeah, the truth seeker in chief, I think, was the, <laughs> the official moniker, right? <laughs> we'll we'll talk me. about that later. But. They did give me that <laughs> moniker. Yeah. And, you know, I was fact checking politicians and pundits. And at the time, I also became a dad. And um, I was, you know, it was an amazing experience, but I was doing a variety of stories on the air, and I started interviewing other dads, too. And when I did, when I put dads on the air, the responses we got were incredible because we were having normal conversations, like just like what you do. But we were having normal conversations that men and my friends and I would have, like, how do you feel about raising a kid, and how are you different as a father from the way that your dad was, and all this. But people had never seen men as fathers in a public space, have these normal conversations. So I realized that people really didn't know what was going on with men. So I started covering that and doing fact checks about fatherhood. Uh, And then you probably want to talk about, then I had a legal battle over uh, my daughter. Yeah. So let's talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) So that legal battle um, actually led to some major change Mm -hmm. in family leave. So you took on your parent company, which at the time was Time Warner. Yes. And what was the outcome or what, what did you take them on for? And then what happened? Sure. So what happened was first my wife and I had our two sons, then she was pregnant with our daughter and we looked at what was going on in our family. And we realized that I would be needed at home after the birth to do some caregiving. 
I knew that that's normal. I was reporting on air that dads do this now. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we looked at the policies, we discovered, I, I dug into it, and I found that uh, any, the way the policies worked at the time, anyone could get 10 paid weeks to care for their new kid, except a guy who got his own wife pregnant. Anybody <laughs> except... Except yeah. a, the dad. By the way, you can't see, but the crew here just went... <laughs> so, um, anybody except the traditional father could get 10 paid weeks. Right. So I went to, to them totally in secret and I said, come on, this has to be an oversight. There's no way you meant to do it this way. Yeah. They said, that's so interesting. Put it in writing. So I put it in writing and asked for a change, no answer. And then my wife um, at 35 weeks had uh, severe preeclampsia. They had to induce. I was messaging work from the hotel, from the hospital room. Are, are, am I going to get the 10, 10 weeks or not? Still no answer. A guy like me could only get two weeks. Anyway, then after 11 days, I'm home caring for my wife and my preemie daughter and my two boys and um, saying, okay, am I coming back to work now or do I get the 10 paid weeks? And that's when they said, no, I couldn't, I couldn't have it. So that is what I took legal action. And then you said, I'll see you in court. (laughs) (laughs) I made clear that that's where we could go. Yeah. And you know, a lot of people in America don't know their rights as employees, but I fortunately did and spoke to lawyers and I filed an EEOC, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission charge uh, for gender discrimination. And then that led to just all this news coverage. And then the policy change. Right. That, don't leave that out, Josh. Hello. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So like it got so much attention and I kept speaking out publicly and then they revolutionized their policy. They made it better for, for moms and dads. Uh, and they made it legal. I mean, the way you're supposed to do it, the EEOC sent out guidance to businesses across the country after my case was filed. And it said what you're supposed to do is give medical leave for women. And you have to clearly distinguish medical leave from caregiving leave. And caregiving leave has to be gender neutral. So what you should be giving caregiving leave, and you have to give the same amount to women and to men. So what Time Warner did, they revolutionized the policy at CNN. And a lot of other companies followed this. And it was a wake-up call to other companies. And they started changing uh, how they're doing this as well. It must have made you feel pretty good. <laughs> to know that you could have that kind of impact. I mean, really. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because I, you know, this is a place to get really authentic, right? In your yes, podcast. please do. So people kept saying that to me and I just kept writing them off. I was like, I was like, no, no, no. It's about the policy and I'm a communicator. I'm talking about it. Um, and then it was only when, um, uh, and people, like some of my friends started kind of arguing with me. They were saying, you don't understand that you're having a real impact, that this matters. And I made the mistake of trying to argue with them and, and like poo-poo it. And then I went to pick up my dry cleaning. And my awesome dry cleaners, who I'd known for 10 years, were so excited because they had just seen me on global Korean language television. Oh, my gosh. And that's when I realized I have to stop arguing with people. So I guess, yeah, something about my case, and then I had a book come out about it, um, galvanized action and attention around the world and helped people rethink the way the workplace treats fathers. Then you subsequently wrote a book. Yes. Right? Yeah. All in. All and in. what's the subtitle? It's so long. <laughs> I know. Harper I couldn't remember it also. I'm going to let you. No. It, Har- Thank you, HarperCollins. For the- no, it's all <laughs> yeah. in. And the subtitle is how our work first culture fails dads, families, and businesses, and how we can fix it together. Okay. But um, I'll just remember the all-in part. Okay. It's, it's uh, kind of like the male side of lean-in. And it's it's had some tremendous um, response. Yeah. It, you people, th- you've really touched a nerve with this. I, yeah. I mean, it, yes, I have. And no one was talking about this before. Yeah. And I think it's just no one realized. Most people didn't realize that this was even happening. And a lot of guys were suffering, and families were suffering in 
in secret with this. I mean, mm-hmm. after I announced my case and then I came out with a book, I, it still happens that men and women will call me and tell me their stories and they'll be crying, including men, crying on the phone as they describe what they went through when their kids were born and how awful it was and how they couldn't be there with their wives. And they also thought there was no one they could talk to about it. And they all thought that they were alone going through this. And you know, I think, I think too, that there's often the assumption that men don't want to be there, Mm -hmm. you know, and that feeds into the, all the stereotypes that, Mm -hmm. that, you know, our society has, um, has put upon us for, you know, decades. I mean, it's just like, you know, with the woman's places in the home and the man's places in the job, you know, in the workforce. And Mm -hmm. it's just, it's a totally different world now. And you and I have both worked in television. Yes. And unfortunately, on the entertainment side of TV, um, there have been a lot of shows that have kept that stereotype of dads alive. Yeah. This backward idea, dads are incapable, dads are irrelevant. But what they don't know is that that idea came from the same idea that women are incapable in the workplace. Women are irrelevant in the workplace. The people, it, it all came about in this madman way of thinking. Like, a woman wants to be a lawyer? Ha, ha, ha. A doctor? Ha, ha, ha. A man wants to change his kids' diapers? Ha, ha, ha. Mm-hmm. It's the flip side. So the weird thing is that this prejudice against men as fathers is actually also prejudice against women. It's based on the assumption that only women, that women should be at home and they're the ones there and men should be at work and they're the ones there. So now I want to kind of connect the dots between this conversation about men and women Mm -hmm. um, to the broader topic of what we're, what this show is about, which is trying to get rid of the othering of society. You know, we are othering each other. Um, and, um, frankly, I think, you know, we've all had enough of that and we've got to figure out a way to, um, trust each other, listen to each other, have respect for each other. What are, what are your thoughts? I mean, you're out there, you travel around the country and outside of the country as well with your speaking engagements and consulting and whatnot. So what, what is your, your perspective on where we are as a nation right now? Well, you are exactly right. I mean, um, one thing I can tell you is, I don't know how many people understand this, but the reason that Russia wanted to get involved in our election system, the reason they wanted a result, Russia has a, always follow the money, okay? Always follow the money. Russia has a, a financial system that is based on getting other countries, inside countries, people to fight each other. Still in Libya, when there was all this internal fighting going on, I read a crazy statistic about how many rubles a day Russia was coming out ahead with. And um, in a democracy, you can sometimes have a political system with a duopoly, which is what we have, in which we're made to feel that we're on these two teams. And, you know, someone comes in and tries to make it even worse, and we all start dividing. And that worsens our economy. It slows us down. In order to get things done, I always say we don't have to love each other, but we have to work together. And so, like, you know, you might have different opinion about someone's lifestyle or gender identity or whatever. Uh, but when you go to the workplace, that might be the best possible person to help build your business, to work with. And then step two is that once we are working together, then we get to know each other and we realize we're not these bad people, right? So I do see the incredible danger, how we can damage our economy and our nation. It's like it can be a new civil war of us hating at each other. Um, so that's why when I talk about this stuff, one of the first things I say is in every state, every race, you have this exact same problem going on with families. And statistically, uh, despite all the stereotypes, by far the vast majority of black fathers live with their kids. 
and are um, on average the most involved. So, could you say that again? Yes, in <laughs> this country, we don't hear that very often. We don't, despite the stereotype. By far, the majority of black fathers live with their children, and they are on average the most involved. I mean, all dads are involved. There's almost a hundred percent of dads who live with their kids, care for them in every major category throughout the week. Um, but like within the 98 to 99 percent, like black fathers actually even a little higher than average. So what we need to do is come to understand, I, like I, you and I are journalists. I say if we learn the facts, it helps. So let's start off realizing that across the country, we're dealing with the same challenges, the same issues. And even if we don't have to love each other, we have to work together. That's just so beautifully said. I mean, it just, you just break it down because that's, that's really what it comes down to. So you, you said, you know, you talked about dealing with the facts. Okay. These days we seem to even have trouble to, you know, agreeing on what the facts are. So as the, as the former truth seeker (laughs) in chief (laughs) for CNN, what's your, I mean, how do we, how do we get back to trusting the facts? Yes, I know. Um, and we're kind of, we spent so many years, unfortunately, in media, um, losing people's trust. And mm-hmm. in a way, now we're reaping what we sowed. You know, like there was already a, a lot of, of mistrust. And some of that before the most recent era, some of that was, um, the way big media were being run, especially on the TV side. You know, like I always complain about how a lot of live TV national news has become this open mic night. Mm-hmm. It was something I hated at CNN. It's why I started Reality Check because any p- politician or pundit could get on the air and lie. And most of the time they didn't get corrected. So that's why when I pitched this role for myself, I was like, can I just be the guy who keeps doing this? And I did for a little while, but they, it didn't last forever. <laughs> uh, so we do get, get torn away. So some of it is that we lost people's trust. And then some of it also is that um, people are being told, hate the other, hate the other, the other hates you. And that pulls people apart. And there's people there who are, have built business models around lying. So I think the number one thing to do is to come to understand that there are legitimate news outlets out there that truly don't exist. Like the vast majority of people at CNN are truly great, committed journalists. My friends that I left behind when I chose to leave uh, are truly committed, great journalists. And that there are lots of places that do this. And I also say, if you wonder if something's true, if you want to know, start taking a look at the news coverage. And you know what? It's an era of open information. Go check it out for yourself. Go find out the facts for yourself. And then you see whether you're new. Don't go look at like the opposite uh, perspective media. Just go look at the hard facts. Look at the government documents. If you want to know, go look. Go watch the original videos that they're referring to. And what you'll see is some media are telling you the truth. Some of them are lying to you. And unfortunately, now it's on consumers to go take the time to do that. Wow. What well, do you think? You've been in this field for a while. Well, so. yeah, I, I agree with you that, um, that we basically need to be a more educated um, citizenry mm-hmm. across the board. And yeah. we can't take anything that people are telling us at face value. And that includes the media. Right. But we have to be, have to be engaged and involved enough to want to go seek the facts for ourselves. And, um, so yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And I, I think there's, um, also, um, a lot to be said for sharing people's stories, mm. which, it, you know, and you're a storyteller. I'm a storyteller. The, the whole basis of, of this podcast is about sharing people's stories personally and professionally, um, kind of giving a little bit of a glimpse behind the scenes and, and just 
helping um, people to be their authentic selves and showing who they are. So, you know, someone might, might say, well, you know, I don't like Jewish people or I don't like African-Americans. Well, you know, Josh is Jewish Mm -hmm. and I'm African-American. Well, do you feel any kind of a connection to either one of us? Is anything that we're saying having a resonance with you and helping to broaden your perspective about who and what we are and are not. So to me, the stories is where we can really get at people's hearts and then we can start to change minds. So do you have a a personal story about a time when you felt as though you were the other? I do. In fact, that might be an interesting case for this because um, after my book came out, I started getting invited by women's groups all over the place to at major companies and organizations, UN women, um, to speak. And there are lots of times that I come in and I'm the only man. Um, and I also see, uh, it's, it's gotten to the point now where like men will show up for my talks, but men don't want to speak. They're afraid to talk about their challenges and all this until I start speaking. So very often I am other. I'm the first person that a lot of these women have ever heard say these things. So I've come to understand in my own little way. Um, you know, I also recognize for those watching, I'm a white man and I have all the privileges that come from these things. Uh, but in these situations, I, I am the first person that they've ever heard talk about this and talk from this perspective. Um, and I think one reason that I'm able to do it is something you and I, I'm sure you did too, learn in broadcasting is that no matter what you do, there's always somebody going to complain about it. Right. So you just you learn to be like... You can't please all of them. Yeah. Like, as long as you know you're doing your best, mm-hmm. and as long as you know what's in your heart, mm-hmm. and you've learned your facts, then you're in the right place. So so I've been able to, I guess, people tell me I've helped pave the way for other guys to talk in these situations in which they have felt uncomfortable sharing their truths and their challenges. Um, so for me, this other experience has been overall a positive one. And that's why I want people to know you really can talk and share your experience and you can give people a new perspective. How's your family doing? How are the kids doing? (sighs) I know you've had some health challenges with them. And Mm. so is everybody doing okay now? They are. Yes. My oldest had heart surgery when he was born and, um, fortunately they were able to fix it. Uh, it was the nightmare. First child, you know, you want to be like, I have a healthy baby. And instead they tell us they're going to, you know, rip him open and fix his heart. But um, it was fixable. And fortunately, he lives just like anybody else. And then when he was 10, almost 11, he had his second surgery. Uh, you were wonderful through that. Thank you. Um, so he's doing great. And my second was uh, born into my arms on the floor in an emergency. But he's doing great. Totally healthy. He's nine oh, now. Back up. I know. I See, know. I've, I've heard the story. But now that you've, now that you've thrown it out there... We can't just leave people hanging. Okay. Okay. So just briefly tell us the story. Well, um, my wife was, I think she was, uh, it was three and a half weeks from her due date. And um, this incredibly unusual thing happened where she didn't labor. It's almost unheard of. She had all, she she fell from the floor of our bedroom and she couldn't talk. And I didn't know what was happening. And then I won't gross anyone out, but stuff started coming out in my hands on the phone with 911. (laughs) They're telling me what to do. And because it was so strange, I didn't know it was birth. I thought something was wrong. Mm -hmm. And then um, when um, the baby, we didn't know the gender, I just his his head popped out. Uh, His eyes were shut. There was no sign of movement. And then I saw more pop out and the umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck five times. Mm. And there was no movement. So I didn't know like if he was going to live or any of this. 
But then um, while I was on the phone with 911, I unraveled the cord. I just randomly knew not to tie off the cord because you're not supposed to until you can make sure the baby's breathing because the baby can get oxygen through the cord. So anyway, um, then stroked him and finally his eyes opened. Uh, so it turned out he was totally fine. He's just a deep sleeper. <laughs> He's a good sleeper. <laughs> he was born asleep. Yes. Oh my he God. was born asleep. Oh my God. Uh, That's so funny. Yeah. I was too. Were you really? I was, yes. You didn't scream and stuff? No, my, cause my mother, my mother always tells this story that, um, that, uh, and back in the day, it was a long time ago, mm. she was given, I guess, some drug <gasps> that actually put me to sleep. <gasps> and so when I popped out, <laughs> they said, Anita, what did you want? And she said, I wanted a baby girl. And they said, well, you've got one. And she said, well, what? but she's sleeping. And she said, wake that chick up. <laughs> Is that <laughs> so, what she said? Yes, yes. Wake that chick and up. And to this day, it's probably why I still love to sleep. Like, don't ask my husband. He's like, okay, if she hasn't had her sleep, you don't want to talk to her. That's him. awesome. Oh, and so how old is your son now? And so he's nine. And then my daughter from the whole story, she's five. So they're getting big. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. How old are, How would you... Just, uh, I have one daughter. Your daughter, Lindsay, she's 24. Okay, yeah, 24. She'll, she'll be 25 yeah, in, in, in May. I remember when she yeah. was over 20. Okay, she's yeah, 24 yeah. now. Yeah, wow. yeah. So, um, your, your oldest is nine. Yes. Um, how aware is he of any of this stuff that's going on? I mean, what do you, does he ever have an inkling and how do you handle mm. questions? And what kind of questions are you getting from him about where we are right now as a nation? Yeah, it's so interesting the way that each of them, like I try to do age appropriate conversations, you sure. know, like from the 12 year old, he's in sixth grade and he's at the point now where he's challenging everything. Um, you know, he's like the other day we went to the, the, this museum that looks at something from the Civil War, and he was like, "Well, it's just two different sides." And I'm not going to say one side's right and one's wrong. And I'm like, "Wait a second, one of them wanted to keep slavery, and the other one didn't." He's like, "Oh, okay. Well, in that case, but in general, in life, <laughs> any side can be right." And so he's challenging everything, which is what yeah. you're supposed to do at that age, right? right. And then um, yeah, my nine year old is. Um, uh, he's just like so, you know, fun and happy. And they do, they all ask questions about what I do and they ask questions, they ask questions about how the work works. But my nine year old, it's just more like he just thinks it's cool that I give speeches and, you know, he, no, they think it's cool that I'm on YouTube. That's it. I don't, I'm like, I don't have a YouTube channel. They're like, I know, but people put your speeches on YouTube. So they, they think that's cool. Uh, and my daughter too, like she's five, but she knows that I go around talking about the importance of daddies and mommies and how mommies and daddies can succeed in any profession, any job and can be just as good as each other at home. And, you know, I think that's as far as I can get her at age five. Of course. But of they course. are, you know, yeah. these kids are precocious. They learn fast. I know. I know. They're, mm. they're different now as they're, they're, they just have to grow up and ask more, um, profound questions than I, I don't think I ever asked profound questions when I was five or, or nine <laughs> years did. old, you know? Um, so what are, what are your, your biggest hopes for them mm. and for our country? That is why I'm so active about this. Not this is why I become an activist, working on issues like paid family leave, outspoken politically, all these things. Because we need to fight. The, I don't want them to have to fight the fight. No matter what, there's going to be some battle for their generation to fight. Mm-hmm. But um, I look at the, for example, the gender inequalities that we were talking about, and I see that I grew up believing gender equality was real. I believe, I, you know, all the girls I went to Yale, great college, surrounded by brilliant women. We all thought we were going to go out into the world and have our careers and our families. But here I am 20 years plus later, and only 5% of CEOs are women. So clearly, 
something didn't work. And I've come to understand that even though we're raising the next generation also to believe in gender equality, if we don't make real substantive structural change, they will have the same problem. So what I want to do is give them a better world. I want our generation to tackle climate. I want us to fix what's going on in politics. I want us to, fig- to, to fix what's going on with these gender imbalances um, so that they don't have to. But I know in the end, they'll have a, a fight to fight. I just want to make it, um, I just want to redu- reduce their burden as much as possible. Who needs to be more engaged and involved in the gender equality equation to help turn the tide and move it in the direction where we have it, in fact, gender equality. Mm-hmm. For starters, business leaders, uh, the business can have a profound effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is actually one of the companies I partner with, Dove Men Plus Care. We have this thing now at the website, dovemencare.com slash pledge. We've created a paternity leave pledge, which calls on everyone in the country to support paternity leave. Because right now, most places don't have it. And I tell people it's a crucial women's rights issue. It's crucial for everyone. And it changes how you look at gender. When you have paternity leave and you make it real and accessible, then you are showing the women in the workforce that you want them to have equal opportunity in their careers. So um, business leaders, when they take that pledge, when they take action, when they transform their policies and cultures so that they're supporting women equally in the workplace and supporting men equally as caregivers, um, there's that. And we also need big steps from our lawmakers. And that's at the state level and at the national level. You know, there are still a lot of people who have these old ideas about gender and they think that what they're saying is just like holding on to some value. And I always tell people, have any view you want about men and women, but when it comes to giving people's choice, giving people choices, isn't that the American way? So let's set up our structures in a way that families can decide is mom going to work? Is dad going to work? Who's going to stay home? And as long as you do that, you're doing what's best for the economy and for families. What's next for you? What should we be looking for? You writing another book? Mm. Uh, what's coming up? Can you can you break a little news here? <laughs> <laughs> well, when I uh, when I when I finally run for president as an independent, I'll announce that <laughs> oh, here. Please do. Yeah. Oh God, would that be great? Just get rid of the parties from the White House. No, I, but um, I I'll tell you this. I um, have. Uh, more and more and more clients coming to me to do this. Uh, and you will keep hearing about big companies that make big announcements um, about moving in the right direction. It's been really interesting how businesses have been willing to take on more of this. Are we talking about paternity leave? Paternity leave? Are we talking about gender equality? Yes. Well, I all guess the gender all equality. Under the, all all, the all gen- of everything under the umbrella. All of it. Yeah, okay. exactly. I'm glad you clarified. Yes. So all of it. They're, and they, they're bringing me in. And what's happening is businesses have been taking this on more, especially since the last election. They're saying, we're not going to get this out of Washington right now. But we can do this. And they're starting to recognize that there's a problem. So you are going to hear more and more big announcements from big companies taking big steps in, uh, in the right direction. And, and you've been whispering in their little ears, haven't you? Sometimes I'm in the, in the offices screaming, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> from the top of your lungs, no doubt. Yeah. Hey, whatever, whatever I got, I'm going to use it to fight the good fight. Just like what you're doing with this. I mean, look at this era. You can reach the entire world this way. It's incredible. It, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. amazing. It truly is amazing. And you've taken your career into your own hands. This is true, you know, and so have you. Yes, we have. And so have you. So we'll have to do this again. You need to come back in six months or a year or something and, you know, we'll see how many of those big corporations you've been yelling at Mm. and saying, come on, get, get on here. I'll bring you a list. Are, Are you optimistic about the future? Yes. I'm optimistic about the future. Um, and one of the reasons that I am is that I keep 
traveling around the world and, and dealing with and meeting people who want to make positive change and have the energy to make positive change. They're, they're serious about it. People like you who are saying, you know what? I'm getting active. I'm going to do this. I will make this change. And they are the ones who give me hope. And unfortunately, it's up us, it's us up against the old structures and against the politicians and, you know, against the, the intruders from other nations who want to hurt. But there are so many of us that are working hard to affect change. And we can see things like the Me Too movement, which uh, has led to some positive changes. And so I keep seeing the people who want to do this and they give me hope. What about you? I agree. I do. I agree completely. Um, and, and when I started the podcast, you know, I was one of those who was, I was, you know, in my own little world doing mm-hmm. my thing. Um, but really, you know, stopping and saying, okay, I have to get engaged and active and involved in some way. I considered running for office and mm-hmm. decided that that was not the thing for me okay. to do at this moment in time. Mm-hmm. But what can I do? And this is what I came up with. Yeah. So um, I just, and everybody does it in their own way, in their own time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think there are more of us that are, are taking whatever little step we can take in our immediate environment um, to, to help guide this conversation and, and bring us closer together rather than farther apart. And so I am hopeful. And oh, yeah. through your world-class career, you have built up a brand and you built them a following and people know to trust you and that gives you a voice and you're using it for good. That's exactly the kind of template that people should follow. Well, thank you for that. And I can say the same about you. Thanks, and yeah. um, I'm so glad that we had a chance to do this. Thank you for Me making too. the time while you were visiting Houston. I ah, know you were here for Her World. And yes, Her yes, World. Yes, yes. Awesome. Her World Energy Forum. Mm-hmm. And uh, the founder, Katie Maynard, is a mutual friend. Yes. And, and colleague of yeah. both of ours. And I'm going to have Katie on the show soon. Oh, so awesome. Shout out to Pink Petro and her world. Oh, and yeah. I, tune and, in for that one, too. And we're taping great. this on International Women's Day. International Women's Day, of course. Yes. Oh, I couldn't so, miss this. Yes, exactly. So, Josh, thank you so much. My I pleasure. really thank appreciate you. it. Okay. Thank you. You rock. Oh, thank you, hon. Thank you. And thank you for taking the time to watch and listen. And we will see you next time. Thanks so much for giving our guests permission to speak and for having the courage to listen with an open mind. If the mission of Our Voices Matter resonates with you, please like, subscribe, download, and share, and then join the conversation because it really is going to take all of us to make a difference.